changes. What's the Word? Brought to you by Columbia Baptist Church in Columbia, Kentucky on 101.9 WAIN. I am Randy Johnson, the senior pastor at Columbia Baptist Church, and thank you for joining us every Wednesday night at 6 o'clock right here on 101.9 WAIN. Well, good evening. Once again, this is Randy Johnson, your host here on What's the Word? This is my weekly radio show that I have the blessed privilege of being able to host, and I'm always thankful and want to be thankful for a couple of things. One, I'm very thankful for the folks at Columbia Baptist Church that make this radio show possible. Uh, we have some sponsors as well that are very kind to help to support this radio show. One of them is Adair Drug, and I appreciate the sweet ladies over at Adair Drug and all that they do to help make this possible, as well as Grissom Martin Funeral Home. They are great supporters and sponsors of not only the ministry of Columbia Baptist Church and my own personal ministry as a, as a pastor, but also just these are folks that want to see the good news of God's Word get out in as many different ways as possible. And so it's always a blessing to be able to find ways to make that possible. For example, a lot of churches have gone to streaming their services on Sunday mornings, and they do that on a live stream on Facebook or on YouTube, or I think Instagram even has a streaming service, although I don't know of any churches that do that, uh, but I do know of some Bible studies that have happened. Uh, there have been some uh, Bible studies done by Zoom, a app that's sort of like Skype, for those of you that are familiar with the older version of what Zoom is, but it's basically just a video chat session that you can set up with different people. And I know that uh, Pastor Aaron Labarge, who is our family pastor here, has done youth Bible studies that way. Churches are finding ways to do ministry in some pretty non-traditional, non typical ways, at least it's new to them. It may not be new technology or, or new ministry opportunities, but to that particular church or maybe for that particular pastor, it is new to them. And so for me to be able to have a weekly radio show that the church supports and two local businesses support, as well as having our services online streamed on Sunday on Facebook and, and on YouTube as well, it's such a blessing, you know, because like I said, I'm part of a group of people that believe in the good news of Jesus. They believe in the gospel. They believe in God's word, and they want as many people to hear the message of hope about Jesus as possible. And listen, in these days, if you have been living under a rock and you know nothing about what has happened in the world since, oh, I don't know, uh, Cain killed Abel, and Adam and Eve ate some fruit back in the book of Genesis chapter 3 and 4. Listen, there are days that are here where people need to hear good news of Jesus Christ. Um, there are all sorts of events that are happening in the world that have people very troubled. I mean, on this particular show, I have spoken to the coronavirus issue. I have 
encourage people in their prayer life and in their Bible study and in their time with the Lord to keep focused on Him and not let fear overtake. I have spoken in episodes past, and in fact, last Wednesday night, I had a short segment where I talked a little bit about racism and uh, and touched on the death of George Floyd that happened in Minneapolis last week. Talked about some of those things and have talked about those things. I have written blog posts in the past when I, I did a a weekly blog and wrote on racism and wrote on all sorts of social issues. These things are not going away. And you cannot legislate some of this stuff, which is part of what I want to talk about tonight. The only hope and the only cure is faith in Jesus. And I know to a lot of people that do not believe in God, they do not believe in the Bible, and they certainly do not believe that Jesus is God's son, they hear a preacher say that and their first reaction is, yeah, right, you must be high on something or you couldn't be more wrong because we need a lot more things other than the gospel. Well, I'm going to share with you tonight how I genuinely believe that if the gospel of Christ would infect the world and affect the world the way that fear and anger and hate, the way that those forces of, of evil have infected the world, if the gospel would infect the hearts and the minds of people around the world and in the society that we're in in the United States, these problems would fade away. I, I know without any hesitation, any question at all. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about that tonight. And hopefully we'll talk about some lighter subjects, some, you know, some other things other than these topics. But listen, I am a firm believer that if this is the only hour-long show that you listen to that will give you perspective on racism, on violence, on police brutality, on the role that police officers have in our country and in our society, if I'm the only voice that you hear on this, I hope and pray that I say what God wants you to hear and what you need to hear for your heart. Uh, and I'll just start with this. I, I was going to save this until a little bit later, but those of you that, that don't know, you know, my personal story, you know, I grew up in a suburban area of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And in that neighborhood, I really don't remember there being much uh, ethnic diversity there in that neighborhood. I mean, I, I had a handful of friends. It was a really big neighborhood. But I think early on, it was probably the result of the 70s, 1970s, what they called white flight, uh, where white families would move away from downtown areas or even the, the first wave of suburbs, if you were to draw a circle around uh, a more you know, downtown area, the first wave of suburbs then became not the inner city, but but kind of became more of a, a mixture, I would say, of ethnic backgrounds. And so in the 70s, 
when schools began to, you know, bus kids across town and there was integration in the 60s and 70s, there was just this massive movement of Caucasian families to go to the suburbs. And I mean, I'm not telling you all anything that you don't know. I mean, this is, this is you know, larger city 101. This is, happens in, in, this happened in every city in the 60s, 70s. Uh, th- this was just the norm. This is what people did. And so my family, uh, they lived in, in kind of that uh, uh, mixture of different ethnicity area, and then they moved out to a predominantly white suburban area uh, in Baton Rouge, and I went to a public, or excuse me, yeah, I went to a public school my first couple of years and was exposed right away from preschool, kindergarten, first grade, to all kinds of backgrounds, you know, I mean, as a child, I knew no different. I was not raised to judge somebody based on their skin color. My parents did an excellent job as, as new Christians, raising my sister and I in a home where everybody was a person of equal value, regardless of the money they made, regardless of you know, what their last name was or what their family reputation was or how they smelled or you know, how much education they had and certainly whatever their skin color was. My parents raised my sister and I to love people equally and to see people equal in the eyes of God. So when I went to school as a you know, preschool, kindergarten, first grader in a public school, uh, I, I didn't learn hatred. I didn't learn racism. I wasn't taught that. I embraced my, my fellow students just as normally and naturally as kids, as kids do until they are wrongfully instructed otherwise. But then I went to, from second grade to eighth grade, I went to an all-white private school because my dad got a job at a Christian school that was run by a Baptist church. And during the time that I was there, uh, there were no African-American students that went to that school. Uh, The six or seven years that I went to that school, it was was an all-white school. And then after eighth grade, I decided that I wanted to go back to public school. I was tired of the private school life and, and that kind of, uh, I don't know, I just felt like I needed to experience more than just that kind of bubble that I felt like I was in in private school. And so I went to a, a public school for high school, and I am so glad that I did because it gave me a chance to remember how I was raised and how I was was taught as a child to love people equally and to realize, first of all, we all come from a different background. I mean, even two families that may grow up, you know, side by side in the same neighborhood, if you go back a generation or two, their backgrounds are different. Their, their story is different. And so oftentimes we divide people up just based on skin color, but really that the we, we can be a lot more creative in dividing people up than just by skin tone. Um, people do it by economic. They do it by, you know, where you live, what neighborhood, what kind of car you drive, how much education you have. The list goes on and on and on and on. So when I went to high school, I learned right away to make friends and to treat people the same and to hang out with people regardless of who they were 
and, and any of those kinds of things. Well, I tried out for the basketball team as a freshman, and honestly, I wasn't good enough, didn't make it, and I was pretty disappointed. I played in a little community league that, that met in a, a gym kind of run by a public park system, and then the coach gave me an opportunity to come onto the team my sophomore year, and I played my sophomore, junior, and senior year. Now, the reason I'm telling you all of this is because on Facebook yesterday, or the other day, I made a post, and on the, in that post, I tagged some of the guys that I played basketball with, at least the ones that are on Facebook. There's a few of them that are not, but the guys that I played basketball with that I consider to this day brothers of mine. Um, yes, we don't share the same skin tone. Our family backgrounds are, are different. Some of them are similar. Some of them are not. Uh, some, of those, uh, some of those guys, you know, their backgrounds are, like I said, are, are, are fairly similar to mine. But there are some of them that their parents, their grandparents, and even them as children and high school, college students, there was a struggle. There was animosity toward them just simply because of their ethnicity. And so I just made a post yesterday, and I tagged some of those guys because my heart really aches for a society that draws all these lines, dividing people up and, and categorizing them and putting people in different categories and, and, and essentially a society that says, because you look this way, you are worth this much. Because you look this way, you're worth less than this person because you look a different way. Frankly, and I'm, I'm just, tonight I'm just giving you my heart. I do not understand that whatsoever. I do not understand how a society can function where a few things are universal, but a lot of things are not. I mean, you consider voting, for example, or you know, purchasing gas at a gas station, or going into a restaurant. There are some things in society that are just universal that, hey, everybody can do this. This is, we're all the same here. But there are some and far too many unwritten things that are not universal across ethnicities. There are people that get stopped by police just simply because of their ethnicity. There are people that when they walk into a room because of their ethnicity, there are thoughts that go through the minds of other people and they instantly categorize that person as, well, because your skin tone is this way, you must be that way. And I just frankly do not understand how a society, how our society can exist much longer when this kind of not, and, and it's not veiled, it is completely out there. People may not want to talk about it, and people on radio and, and on internet may not want to talk about it, and when they do, it may not be popular, and I get that. But it has to end someplace. The, the line drawing, the stereotyping, the assumptions of this person being this way because of this factor in their life. I mean, when you stop and think about it, I personally think someone's ethnic background 
uh, skin color, you know, their ancestry. I think if you're going to be, as we use the term racist, if you're going to draw lines and categorize people based on those types of things like ethnicity and, and you know, heritage and their background, I think that personally that is the dumbest way that you can categorize people. There is not one person on the planet who chose the ethnicity, the family that they're in, the background that they're in. Listen, you were born into the family that God, by his sovereignty, placed you in. The skin tone that you have is the skin tone you have. And your genetic DNA is something that you were born with that you had nothing to do with. And so for me personally, to put people in categories based on things that they have zero control over is the dumbest way. If you're going to have a society that's going to be foolish enough to try and put people in categories and then categorize those based on worth and you do skin tone, to me, that makes zero sense. In a way, I think there is a natural, I guess, a, a natural categories uh, based on how much money somebody makes, how much education they have. But to, to put people in categories based on their skin color to say, well, all white people are like this, all African-American people are like this. All Asian-American people are like that. It's just dumb. It, 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 makes, it has never made any sense to me. And in fact, and I'm, uh, I, I, like I said earlier on the top of the hour, I, I'm just giving you my heart here tonight, okay? So this is a very different show for me, but I think it is, I think it is well worth it, and it's time for, you know, just lay these things out on the table. But I have said many, many times, I don't even understand the word racism. I don't even understand why people say, well, I like this race more than this one, or this race is this. We're, we're using the word wrong. There is no such thing as racism. There's only one race. It's the human race. You're talking about human beings and the category that they're in. Race is human, okay? There is a human race. Now, once you get to be a human, like I said, a society can then decide, all right, we're going to divide everybody up. And we're going to divide people up. We're going to categorize them based on, and then you list the factors, Okay, if a society is foolish enough to try to function and, and think about America for a moment, there are certain things because of the Constitution that all people are entitled to, right? But then you start looking at somebody's ethnic background, their heritage, and then you begin to make exceptions or then you begin to disqualify people because of that ethnic background for some of those inalienable rights some of those constitutional rights now you have one of the most messed up societies that that could possibly exist and because of that 
You have people that don't trust people. You have crookedness. You have anger. You have people that will lash out at a system that sees that there are exceptions made for some and there are some unspoken rules for others. And again, what I'm saying about the United States of America is that our society has struggled for decades with this problem that is not new. My parents went to school and graduated high school in a time where, again, I'm using the word only because it's historically accepted, even though I struggle with saying it, but with race reconciliation, racial riots, uh, you know, rights given to, uh, the, you know, for, for voting, for eating in a restaurant, for, you know, because again, back in the 40s and the 50s, and even in the early 60s, you know, you, they would say, okay, whites can go to this school, but, you know, uh, and, and blacks can't go to that school, or, you know, whites get to go to this place and blacks can't go to that place. And so as the 60s unfolded, there was a lot of integration. Well, here we are, 40 and 50 years removed from some of that integration, and the aggression is still there because a lot of the injustice is still there. And some of it is perceived, some of it is personally felt, some of it is institutionalized. You know, I mean, I could just go on and on and on and talk about this issue. And, you know, and, and to be honest, it's an issue, I think, that needs to be talked about. It's not popular. Mainly, I think, because there are certain areas of the country that feel the problem more than others. And I think that there are certain cities, there are certain regions of the country, there are certain places in the United States where this type of conversation that I'm having with you tonight is, is much more emotionally charged than it might be where, where I live right now. But growing up as a white kid in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, in the Deep South with a lot of thinking and, and generational acceptance of you know, hey, let's just keep everybody separate. Let's just keep our keep to ourselves and let's not, you know, mix together. And, you know, that's good for people. Again, a society can't function like that. L let me let me just say this, and, and I I don't know how popular this statement is going to be either, but feel free to email me and let me know how you think. Uh, my email address is randy at columbiabaptist.com. I'll say it again later in the show. But feel free to email me your thoughts and concerns and issues about what I'm talking about today, tonight. But here is, for, for Randy Johnson, here is my personal misunderstanding of the racial issue of what we call a racial issue in the United States. I personally call it 
a heritage issue, an ethnicity issue, because the term race is the human race. There's just one. We all have different skin tone. You know, our ancestors may be from different continents. We may have some different physical characteristics, but essentially we are all human beings. Genetic DNA form the same with, you know, some slight differences, but that's neither here nor there. But here's what I don't understand about living in the United States that is, to me, is both ironic and sad and hilarious all at the same time. What is the United States calling card? What is the appeal of coming to the United States? I'll tell you as a kid, one of the, one of the words or the phrases that I heard many, many times was that the United States is a melting pot. Now, that term may not mean anything to kids that are 18 years and, and under. They may not have any concept to what a melting pot is. But if you were going to make jewelry, if you were going to make, let's say, you were going to make some silver jewelry, and you had a bunch of silver stuff, and you were going to put it into a pot and melt it all down and then pour it into a mold, what you would end up doing is you would take silver pieces of all different shapes, sizes, qualities. You would take some big pieces, small pieces, you know, whatever. You'd put it all in this pot, melt it all down to where it is pure silver, pour it in the mold, and make some kind of silver something out of it. That's the concept, okay? That's the mindset that I had as a child of the United States, okay? So when, when I heard the term melting pot, what I thought is, oh, great. Well, so what we're going to do as a country is we're going to accept people that come from different ethnic backgrounds, and when you get to the United States, you're going to be a United States citizen. You're going to be an American. Regardless of what your heritage was that you left, regardless of what continent you came from or what country your parents and grandparents were part of and your great-grandparents and for generations back, when you become a citizen of the United States, you are an American and a citizen of the United States of America, period. We are a melting pot where we have a collection of all of these ethnicities. In fact, I watched a documentary, I think it was a, a PBS, Public Broadcasting System, documentary on New York, the city of New York, and how that city really became the snapshot, you know, the, the, the picture and the model for what became the United States. Because right there on Ellis Island, every person that wanted to become a citizen of the United States had to go to Ellis Island, they had to take the test, they had to, be, had to go through immigration, and they were then uh, considered a resident of and a citizen of the United States. Well, what ended up happening in New York... And this was the start of what I'm saying is both ironic and sad and hilarious at the same time. Right there in New York, you began to have Italians that lived with other Italians. 
even though they're citizens of the United States, they have all of a sudden, they share something in their heritage and their background that they want to continue. And so they bring their Italian heritage and now all of a sudden they're, if you want to call them, an Italian-American. Uh, you have all these hyphens, all of these you know, dashes that I am a, a something American. Uh, you have people from Poland, you have people from Germany, you have people from even from uh, Japan and China, and you have different people coming to the United States. And what you had in New York is you had all these little boroughs, these little neighborhoods of families that would essentially live together in the United States, in America, the land of opportunity, the melting pot of the world, but they would still hang out with and live near people that they shared in a, a heritage with. And some of them were treated well by other heritage groups, ethnicity groups, and some of them were not. Here is to me what is sad, hilarious, and ironic all at the same time. The United States of America has been formed as a country where every ethnicity is welcome, you become a citizen of the United States, but yet we have slipped into a society that is okay with and accepting of drawing certain lines of acceptance and saying certain rules and benefits for one skin tone versus another, and that's not okay. If America truly is going to be a melting pot, then when you jump into the United States of America and you are born at a, as a citizen of the United States, even with a heritage and an ethnicity that has a background on another continent, you should have all the rights, the privileges, and the same treatment as a citizen of the United States as the person next to you who has a different heritage. I mean, we are known as the land of the free and the home of the brave. We are known as, again, the melting pot of the world. But what I have experienced and what I have seen is there are still lines being drawn. There are certain rules. There are certain levels of treatment that certain ethnic background and certain heritage backgrounds receive that others do not. This is something Randy Johnson, me, I struggle with because I was not raised that way. Uh, I, I don't understand it. You know, when you begin to think about jobs, you begin to think about education, you begin to think about certain privileges, or you start to think about, you know, certain treatment of different people. If human beings are all human beings, and if Americans are all American citizens, then why can't we treat one another equally? This is this is an this is a uh, an infinite struggle that goes through my brain. And again, it goes back to a couple of different things. It goes back to our training, our upbringing. It goes back to generations back where certain ethnic backgrounds and certain heritage backgrounds did not get the same opportunities as other people had. 
because of their ethnic background, and that was not right either. Um, and so what we've tried to do, unfortunately, is we've tried to legislate morality. We've tried to legislate fairness. We've tried to put certain people in office and pass certain laws and bills to make everybody think differently about each other, and that's just not working. I had a friend of mine post on Facebook the other day. He mentioned about four or five different national uprisings, riots, um, political, politically motivated riots that happened in the United States over the last hundred years. And they come, they go, they drop off of the map, they, they leave the consciousness of the of United States citizens and we move on until the next tragedy happens, until the next thing comes up, until another incident happens and then it all, you know, just starts all over again. And again, this is why I'm speaking to you just off the cuff tonight don't really have any notes, don't really have anything planned. I'm just speaking my heart to you tonight. I don't understand. And so let me tell you why I don't understand. This is, this is probably as close to, you know, absolute, complete transparency as I can get. The gospel of Jesus Christ says everybody is equal in the eyes of God. People sin differently, but all people sin, which simply means this. We all need Jesus. Jesus, the Bible says, died for the sins of the world. The Bible says that the gospel of the good news of Jesus went to the Jews and to the Greeks, which means one ethnic background, the Jews, and then every other ethnic background, the Greeks. That was a way of saying you know, when Jesus said, take, take the, the message and make disciples of all nations, he said, in, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, meaning that what I am telling you in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, applies to every single person on the planet. It doesn't just apply to this group or a group that you like or a group that you're part of or a group that you don't like. It doesn't apply to... No, he said, take this message and make disciples of every nation to the ends of the earth. So as a preacher of the gospel and as a Christian and a follower of Jesus, here's what I don't understand is why can we not look at each other the same. I'll tell you why. Because when you look at somebody through the eyes of sin, you're not going to see them the same as you see you or your ethnic background. You have to look at other people through the eyes of Jesus and through the cross of Christ and through the eyes and the heart of God in order to see people the way that God sees them. Listen, that's true of people in your own ethnic background. That is true of people that have the exact same skin tone as you. If you're going to see people the same, I'll give you an example. Let's just suppose you're sitting uh, at home and you're watching TV one Saturday afternoon. Don't have a thing in the world to do 
and you're just flipping through the stations and your doorbell rings and you go to the door and you peep through the peephole and you see through that door, you see somebody who is your ethnic background, your skin tone, but yet you see that person in rags, their hair is a mess, uh, they don't look right, they may have some, you know, far off look in their face, you know, they just don't seem like they've got it together and, and they're ringing your doorbell on a Saturday. You may not be very inclined to open that door because instantly you've made a decision that person probably wants money. That person is probably on drugs. That person is probably homeless. That person is, that person is, that, you know, and you can just keep filling in the blanks. Whatever it is that you think they are, you've made that decision based on how they look. Now, let's just suppose that the doorbell rings and you look through the peephole and you see somebody, the same ethnic background as you, same heritage as you, same skin tone as you, but they are dressed in really nice clothes. I mean, clothes that you have never had enough money to purchase. And they look great. I mean, they, you know, hair fixed, everything's done, pressed, look nice. Then you make a different kind of judgment. And you think, okay, well, maybe this person is running for office and they want to tell me, to vote for them. Maybe this person needs directions. Maybe this person just kind of got turned around. Maybe this is a, a rich uncle or a rich aunt of mine that's come to visit me. You know, who knows? You begin to make instant judgments based on outward appearance. It is only through the eyes, through the mind, and through the heart of Christ that we can look at people and not make those kinds of judgments and see every single person the way that God sees that person. Without the help of God, without the gospel of Christ, we will never see people the same. The problem in America is we have sold something that we cannot back up. We have sold this message that we are the melting pot of the world, that all ethnicities all people everywhere, anybody, I mean, you read the inscription that's on the Statue of Liberty, you know, send me your, send me your homeless, send me your oppressed, send me your poor, send me all, okay, but when they get here, we, we've sold them something that we're not going to uphold. Our Statue of Liberty says, hey, we want you to send us people from your country and they're going to be citizens of the United States. But what we don't tell those people is, well, once you get here, we're going to treat you differently because of how you look. And this is what happens in the United States, which is why whenever George Floyd last week died as, as a result, independent autopsy said yesterday he died of asphyxia, which means that his air supply was, was cut off because of the way that he was being restrained, other people said, you know, there were things in his system or whatever. You know, I, I, read, I read all of that stuff. Again, the, the man died. When something like that happens, we make a judgment call. And what you see in the video, regardless of what you believe, 
regardless of whether you believe good cop, bad cop, whether you believe good George Floyd or bad George Floyd, whether you believe whatever you believe, the image is simply this. There's a white police officer. There was an African-American man, black man on the ground in handcuffs. He died. White officer is then arrested for murder, third-degree murder, which may change. And people in the African-American community have that heritage background, have that ethnic background, are saying, here we go again. Here's another of our, of our men. And so what we have essentially said is, yeah, send us anybody from any country, but the mindset is, but yet when you get here, there's going to be different treatment. And so again, regardless of how you interpret the events of, of George Floyd and his death last week, the message, the snapshot, the picture then instantly brings up decades of aggression, decades of frustration, decades of mistreatment, generations past of, yes, you can be a citizen, but, yes, you can be part of society, but, and it just so happens that in the African-American community, it keeps getting piled up. Then you have the whole issue of black lives matter, all lives matter, blue lives matter. You know, at the end of the day, I understand the reasoning behind movements that are standing with black lives. I understand the movement that is standing with and standing beside good police officers that don't use their power to abuse. I understand the all lives matter statement of saying, well, it's not just black lives that matter, it's all lives that matter. At the end of the day, what, what I would simply say is the gospel is what matters because the gospel is what gives us our worth. You know, as a sinner, I have no worth. Regardless of what color my skin is, the Bible says, and, and listen, if you want to hear and read one of the most discouraging chapters in all of the Bible, read Romans chapter 3. Paul takes so many references from the Old Testament and lumps them all together in the first half of, of Romans chapter 3 and basically calls every person on the planet, uh, you know, worthless, a worthless pile of cow dung. I mean, you are as worthless as a termite. You are as worthless as a maggot. I mean, when Paul just, I mean, he unleashes the, you are the, the worm of worms in society. Why? Because you're a sinner. In light of the holiness of God, Paul is exactly right. But what we do in society is we qualify our sins. And we qualify and categorize our sinners. But Paul says, listen, in the eyes of God, you're all the same. You're all, the, you're all a sinner. Every single one of you, you've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's why the gospel is what matters, because the gospel is what makes me matter. If I don't have the gospel in my life, if I don't have the blood of Jesus covering my sin, then it doesn't matter 
how much education I have. It doesn't matter how much money I make. It doesn't matter what my job is. And it certainly doesn't matter what my, what my ethnic background is. Because the gospel is what matters. In fact, the book of Revelation says that in heaven, there's going to be somebody from every tribe, tongue, and language there. Or tribe and tongue and, and nationality there. So heaven literally is going to be filled with every different type of ethnic background. Why? Because Jesus died for the sins of the world. So for our country to claim that we're a melting pot, send me your poor, send me your oppressed, send me your homeless, send me your hungry, send me all these people. You can be an American citizen with all these rights, and then when people get here, they're treated differently based on their skin tone or based on their education level, or based on their economic level, we're not really a melting pot. We may be a land of opportunity, but for some people, they feel a limited opportunity. So there's no perfect society, is what I'm trying to say. America is wonderful. I love our country. But we are an imperfect country because we're filled with imperfect people and we keep electing imperfect people and we will always elect imperfect people. That's why the gospel is what matters because the gospel is what makes me matter in the mind and the heart of God. This is why God sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins so that my life could then matter to the kingdom of God. Until the gospel transformed me, my life didn't matter to the kingdom of God because my life wasn't connected to the kingdom of God. But once I accepted the fact that I was a sinner and confessed my faith and trust in Jesus and made him the Savior and Lord of my life, that's the moment that my life began to matter for the kingdom. And so I'm just simply saying, as hard as we can try, as, as much as we can say, and as much as we can do, to try to level the playing field, and to try to legislate equality, there's always going to be a level of inequality in a society where Jesus is not first. And the United States may have at some point been closer to a Christian nation than we are right now, but I don't know that America ever truly has had a, a heart as a nation that beats for the heartbeat of God and beats in unison with the heartbeat of God that is built on the Word of God, functions through the Word of God, and sees Jesus as the ultimate king. That's, that's, there's no country on the planet like that. Because we all are filled with imperfect people and we elect imperfect people. So let me just say a couple of things about the riots. Since I'm being very unpopular tonight. And of course, as I mentioned earlier, if you want to email me, you're welcome to and share your thoughts with me. My email address is randy at columbiabaptist.com. But... As far as the riots go, as a human being, there's a part of me that understands, but there's also a part of me that doesn't understand. I think because of sin and because of aggression 
because of feeling put upon, kept down, looked over, you know, whatever it is that you want to call it, there's always going to be people in any society anywhere who feel less than what they should feel and are treated as less than because of some other factor. Usually, it's a factor that they had nothing to do with. You know, oh, well, you're, you're a Jones, you're a Johnson, you're a, you're a this, you're a that. Well, you must be, and then they fill in the blank. No, not necessarily. Uh, just because my family is this or because people in my family have done that doesn't mean that I am as well. That, that's, that's society. That's, that's what they do. And so the riots have come the last several days. Some of them have been, and, and I am, I'm very encouraged by reading some of the peaceful protests because I, that part I completely understand. People need to have a voice where they show and they share how concerned they are for issues of, that, that hit close to home. Uh, such as a, an issue of injustice, a, an issue of, you know, for the black community when they see another of their young men die at the hands of a, of a white police officer. It brings up images from the past. It brings up hurt and frustration of the past. And they've got to have a healthy way to express that. And I understand that totally and completely. The, the issue, though, is as those peaceful protests come and go and those voices are heard, the problem is what's being done about it to change it. And this is where the church really needs to step up and be the church. Because I'm telling you, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only hope. And I'm, I'm going to close tonight with how, I, how, I, how and why I believe that. Not just for salvation, but for everyday life. But the riots of people destroying buildings and, and looting and going into different private businesses and, and companies and taking things, stealing things, that is a result of that frustration and that aggression that's now gone to a, a sinful level where because I'm frustrated and because I'm irritated and because I'm tired of what I see and what I experience, I've got to get that level of aggression out, that level of anger out somehow, some way, and this is how I'm choosing to do it. And when that level of aggression then causes somebody, or not causes them, but, but encourages them and tempts them to, to do something that is unlawful, and to break the law because of their frustration, then that's when it steps across a sinful line that it really should not. The, the peaceful protests and the way of sharing the concern of injustice should definitely exist. The issue, though, as I said a moment ago, is what is going to be done as a result of it. If it's going to just be forgotten then we're going to see future demonstrations, future riots, and future problems because the cycle is not going to be broken. It's the same cycle. We just hit repeat, and there may be two years, there may be 20 years, there may be 200 years in between, but it's going to happen again unless something really changes. Now, why do I believe that the gospel is the way? 
Well, the first murder in the Bible were two brothers. Same race, <laughs> the human race, same ethnic background, same parents. It was a small little handful of people on the planet because creation had just happened. And one brother kills another brother over jealousy and anger. Murder is going to continue. Anger, frustration is going to continue. Injustice, unfortunately, is going to continue because we live in an imperfect society and we live in an imperfect world. Things may get better, and I certainly pray that they do. I certainly pray that in the, in the wonderful United States of America that we can find a way to bring people together in a society with rights that we share, with values that we agree on, and we see one another as citizens of the same country rather than dividing us up based on factors that we have nothing to do with, that we do not choose, like the color of our skin. Why do I believe that the gospel is the ultimate answer? Not only for eternal life, not only for salvation, as I shared just a moment ago, until you come into a saving relationship with Jesus, you have no hope. Not only in this life, but certainly not in the life to come. You have no hope outside of a relationship with Jesus. And the gospel is what gives us access into the kingdom of God and what gives us worth in the eyes of God, in the heart of God, God already sees our worth. He created us to have a relationship with him. But sin breaks that fellowship that only the blood of Jesus can repair. We have to be redeemed, which means be brought back to a right relationship with God. And that is only possible through the blood of Jesus and trusting in Jesus as Savior and Lord. That being said, how can the gospel help in a situation like this? Well, let's just suppose that you are sitting in your home, as I mentioned a moment ago, and your doorbell rings. The gospel of Jesus is the only hope that you have to not have preconceived ideas about the person on the other side of the door. And so if you're a teacher in a classroom, you're not going to, as a Christian, divide your kids up based on their ethnic backgrounds and say, okay, well, these kids, because of their skin color, are going to fit in this category, and these kids, because of their skin color, are going to fit into this category. As a Christian, if you're a teacher, then, yeah, you may have kids that are on different levels in terms of abilities in math or abilities in reading or abilities in in you know, remembering historical events, and that has nothing to do with their skin color. So as a Christian, as a teacher, you're going to look at these students and say, how can I get the best out of these students, regardless of who they are, regardless of what their background is, regardless of who their parents are. I want the best for these kids, and I want them to succeed and do their very best. Now, that should be true, and I, I certainly pray it's true of all of our teachers everywhere. But you see, the gospel fixes those issues because as a Christian teacher, when you walk into your classroom and you see various ethnic backgrounds, your heart says all of these kids are the same. Jesus died for every one of them. If you're a business owner... And you have somebody walk into your business and one person walks in with one skin tone and somebody else walks in with another skin tone. 
as a Christian, you're going to see these two individuals the same. As a church. Now, we have folks that come and, and visit in our worship service and, and come. They want to be a part of what God's doing at Columbia Baptist Church. My heart and my prayer is when somebody walks in with one skin tone versus another or somebody comes in from some background or somebody has more money, this one has less money, this one smells, this one smells great, you know, whatever, we look at that person and say, you know, Jesus died for that person. I love that person because Jesus loves that person. What more can we say? The gospel is the only hope for any of us to be able to have the heart and the mind that breaks down these ridiculous barriers that a society will put up because it makes other people feel better about themselves. The gospel breaks all of those down and says, you know, the only way that I will ever feel good about me is when I'm in a right relationship with God. And there are two kinds of people in this world. People that know Jesus and people that need to know Jesus. That's it. Now, yes, they're male and female. Yeah, there's lots of different people from different ethnic backgrounds and different continents. And they have different skin tones. And they, you know, they may have a different language they speak or whatever. At the core of how God sees that person they either know Jesus or they need to know Jesus. And that's it. That's how God sees people. That's how he created us. You know, talking about a melting pot, we all come from Adam and Eve. Yeah, there's lots of different continents now. There's lots of different ethnic backgrounds. There's lots of different nations. There's lots of different tribes. There's lots of different languages. But we all came from Adam and Eve. And then, after sin had wrecked the world so badly, God said to Noah in Genesis chapter 6, All right, you know what? We're going to start over. Noah, I'm taking you and your family, and you all get in the ark. You build it. Animals, the whole nine. You get in the ark. I'm going to destroy the world by water. And so we all came from Noah and his family. So you've got really two funnels that the entire human race went through. The first one was Adam and Eve, and then the second one was Noah. After that, people began to populate the entire world. And we're all descendants of Adam and Eve, all descendants of Noah. At the end of the day, Jesus died for somebody and they give their heart and life to Jesus, they're a brother and sister in Christ to me, regardless of what their skin color is. If there's somebody that needs to know Jesus, that's not had some different opportunities in life, or they have had a rough background, or they're going through something, or they look like this, or they smell like that, or what, if they need to know Jesus, that's my number one concern about them. I hope and pray that you would join me in prayer for our country, that the gospel of Jesus Christ would ring out, let freedom ring through the cross of Jesus Christ, covered by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's let people know the only hope that any of us have is by placing our faith and trust in Jesus and in him alone. We cannot fix the world problem until we let God fix our individual problem. And once God fixes us individually, 
then we have the hope and the tools and the Holy Spirit and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to fix the problems that are in our society. Thank you so much for joining me tonight and letting me share my heart with you. I love you all and I'm thankful for this opportunity and may God bless you the rest of this week. Hey, this is Pastor Randy Johnson. Thank you so much for joining me for What's the Word? That show airs every Wednesday night at 6 o'clock on 101.9 WAIN right here in the heart of Adair County in Columbia, Kentucky. Or you can catch the replay of What's the Word on my podcast, which is called Walk This Way. And you can find that in several different places. You can find it at anchor.fm backslash walk this way on the internet, or you can find it on different apps and, and places that carry podcasts like iTunes, Spotify, Pocket Cast, and all sorts of uh, places. You can find this broadcast. You can find messages that I've preached. And I just want to encourage you to make it a point to tune in, subscribe, and listen to all sorts of content that's on my podcast, which is called, again, Walk This Way. Thank you so much for joining me.